This is the Podcast for Democracy, a global conversation to encourage and support your activism. Produced by OPEN, the online progressive engagement network. Today, featuring a conversation with John Della Volpe, director of polling at the Harvard Kennedy School Institute of Politics and the author of the book, Fight, How Gen Z is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America. Now here's your host, executive director of OPEN, Giovanna Negretti. Well, welcome and thank you for being on this podcast and for joining us. I was so inspired by a recent article that you wrote on the Gen Z backlash, and mm. it inspired me to read your book in two days. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and thank you. Uh, no, it was fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't get, I couldn't put it down. It was great. I know you as a pollster, and you advise the Biden campaign. You've been quite busy. I'm wondering. What what inspired you to write this book? Like, why now? Why Gen Z? Right? You've been doing this yeah. for years. Yeah, it's been twenty two years now. Right? It's been it's been. I, I was fortunate to to start focusing my research on young Americans back in two thousand. Right? When before millennials even actually had their name. And the inspiration back in those days happened on our campus, on Harvard's campus, when when two sophomores, two nineteen year olds, they were concerned that seemingly so many members of their generation were engaged in some meaningful way of service, community service, volunteerism, but very few saw politics and political engagement as a pathway to systemic change in the country. And they wanted to understand why. And that one semester effort, that one semester poll with a handful of students, 22 years later, I've been very much kind of embedded with younger Americans. And Giovanna, it was in the summer of 2017, so it was just about six years ago, that I spent most summers kind of traveling on the road once a semester is complete, asking essentially the same questions to different groups of people. You know, the question is like, what is it that makes you proud to be an American? What is it that ties all of us and all of you younger people together? What's a good day? What's a bad day? And man, in 2017, everything just changed. You know, I heard this like darkness and fear about just the present, but also the future in ways at which I had never thought of or heard of before. Started paying closer attention that summer of 17. And then just a few months later, um, obviously we had uh, Charlottesville, Mandalay Bay mass shooting, and then followed by Parkland. So I think I saw younger people try to process those events and turn that fear into something much greater, which is like the spirit to like try to find that as an opportunity to engage. So that's kind of, I was thinking about what was different and trying to tap into that. And I felt like that was like on the front end of a, of a, of a pretty important chapter in American history. So it's this combination of concern about their friends and family and their community members who mm-hmm. feel like they're kind of beaten down or under attack part one, right? With the second thing of also kind of connecting that to like these other broader kind of systemic challenges that our nation faces in realizing that the challenges are getting worse and worse, the divisions are getting greater and greater. And that I think that they find some, they find some, some agency in that, right? They find like, um, there's not that much they can, they feel like they can control, but one thing they can control is how they treat each other and, and their level of uh, participation in the civic community broadly. Based on your focus groups and polling data, you paint a picture of despite their fears, they're also more empathetic and connected 
and they're not apathetic, which to me is mind blowing. Like given the conditions, it would be, it would make you like turn around, wouldn't it? And it's made them more purposeful in their work and, and more impatient in sort of their responsibility towards resolving issues. So how do you think that organizations like ours, we're a global network of digital first organizations around the world. We help folks sort of get civically engaged on progressive causes. So how can organizations like ours capitalize on this urgency, on this lack of apathy, like the, you know, they're, they're wanting to, this purposefulness? I think three steps optimizing the moment, right? I think all, each of those three steps need to be kind of grounded, in, which is why I wrote the book, in this understanding of why Gen Z, Gen Z, are who they are, right? How have their values kind of developed in the idea of like generational theory, right? That you have a group of, of young people, most of which are the Americans that I study, that, you know, who kind of grew up in a time where I argue in the book, as you know, that I, I felt like they've, that they've dealt with more chaos more quickly than any other generation, right? Before mm-hmm. neuroscience tells us that their, their brain is fully mature, which is the age of 25, right? And from the American perspective, you know, and it's, I think it's the case in, in many of these cases kind of in other parts of the world, you're dealing with the ramifications of, of the Great Recession and the impact that had on millions of families, you know, who lost significant wealth and therefore created family stress, et cetera, which still weighs on on, on young people, specifically younger men today, you know, followed certainly in the U.S. the daily weight that younger people carry over concerns about shootings, mass shootings, school violence, et cetera, some of their early memories when they should feel like safe and secure in their in their classroom, anything but, right? Um, yeah. Again, a uniquely American issue around opioids. Fast forward a few more years and, you know, the every community in America can see the, the implications of, of, of climate change, right? Mm-hmm. Concerns about democracy, not just here, but in other parts of the world as well, of course. Um, all this before COVID robbed couple years of, of engagement and interactions, experience with younger people. So um, that's been that experience. And, um, and during that time period, Gen Z, they haven't seen America at our best, but they haven't seen, you know, many countries kind of come together. One of the, 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 the ways in which I can simply figure out um, what someone is like a millennial, you know, or, or, or Gen Z or Zoomer is, do they have a, a living memory of 9-11? It's not just about the tragedy of 9-11, but it's about how we came together after on September 12th and September 13th and seeing America kind of at our best. So those are those experiences. That's why they are who they are. And that's an important part of, I think, developing relationships with them, right? And then helping them work and channel this, this inherent progressive gene that they have, you know, for caring for the vulnerable. So that's like, super important, I think, and something that's often missed when strategists and organizers just think about the last phase of this, which is messaging, right? right. The messaging and the ask has to be kind of connected to those kind of global values, right? right. Um, so that's one thing. And then the only other thing I would say, and there are dozens of, of important examples, is really relishing the differences that younger people might have already made, because that keeps folks kind of in the fight and we may not you know have the final solutions on any of these problems but let's also recognize that we can make progress you know when inter- other generations kind of work collaboratively and we just need to kind of continue 
to to work in that way, never kind of giving up and always building off of the last modicum of success. Well, this brings me to the to the flip side of this, which is what I started with this podcast, which mm. was um, your whole chapter on the backlash of Gen Z and the dangers of sort of dark forces, if you will, <laughs> taking advantage of the dark side of where they're at in terms of isolation, uh, need for a, for a sense of community, the effects of the pandemic and mm-hmm. other other things that you note there that might be contributing to their getting more sort of attracted to these types of either activities or groups. What can progressives do to sort of counter that? And not just progressives, just anyone. What what can we be doing to sort of, apart from messaging? Because it's more than messaging, isn't it? You know, you just say oh, it's yeah. more. A couple of dangers here, you know, one of which is because there is such a kind of centrality to the views of, of, of Gen Z in terms of um, the kind of the progressive ideals. The every generation doesn't have the same level of, of, of agreement on some issues, right? My generation, Gen X, you know, for many years was kind of 50-50 Democrat and Republican. Now it's certainly kind of trending more Republican conservative kind of as, as we age, but still it didn't have like a central identity like millennials or Gen Z, right? And what we found is that Gen Z is progressive and becoming more progressive, okay? Not necessarily in the labels that they affix themselves, but in terms of the uh, the questions that we ask and the responses around using kind of um, government resources, right, to solve the big challenges we face, climate, poverty, healthcare, expansion of rights, et cetera. So that's one. So that means that if you've got two out of three, three out of four young people kind of agreeing with those central tenets, that's leaving, you know, a quarter or a third behind, one, okay, um, as compared to half. So there's less of a community for that group, right, one. The second thing, um, which is also, I think, kind of connected is this, you know, this, the, the Surgeon General wrote about this this week, right, this like this pandemic of loneliness, anxiety, depression, et cetera, specifically among, you know, young people, the younger you are, the more likely to, to have these issues and um, challenges. And sadly, I think younger people are going to find strength in communities offline, but also online. A lot of people might enter looking for some community, but then as they get more engaged in certain communities, the leaders there have very kind of nefarious ideals, right? And try to kind of create more divisions and hate and those sorts of things, right? So I think there's a lot to do with it, but there's this like vulnerable group, I think, who feel disconnected from their peers, who've got loneliness, depression, looking for community and are finding community in pretty dark, in pretty dark places, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one. Now, how do how what progressives can do about that? Generally, I think um, recognize that it exists. I, I I think advocate. I think advocate in the earliest days of education, civic engagement and conversation about issues. Right. Um, I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these focus groups and town meetings, and when we talk about the things that concern us. Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, and progressives, they actually share the same kind of concerns, right? But the problem is, I think, because of the concern about wokeness and the concern about the political divisions, I don't think that we're having enough conversations about what keeps us kind of united, right? And Mm. especially like in educational settings. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm very optimistic, but having more of those conversations early, right, and and making making people across the entire spectrum feel connected to the communities, hopefully 
build some of these bonds and people can feel free to disagree with a progressive ideology, right? But it doesn't mean, I'm not suggesting that if you disagree that you're going to turn into an extremist, right? But I just think the more that we normalize conversations about the shared issues that we all care about, the, the less extremism that we'll see longer term. You really believe in Gen Z. You know, you're very optimistic about America's future with Gen Z. And, and you even state how the world would likely look, you know, in 25 mm. years, you know, with Gen Z, which I thought was fascinating, by the way. You've traveled around the world. You've done focus groups everywhere. I'm sure you've done interviews. And do you think that extends around the world? Is this a unique American thing around Gen Z or does it expand borders? I definitely think it expands the borders. And a lot of the inspiration for that last chapter where I tried to kind of paint the picture of America was very much influenced by our our Eisenhower fellow colleagues, right? You know, Dima from Jordan, right? And, and so many others from, from every part of, of, of the world. And I do think, frankly, that even unlike millennials, there, there's, there's this like shared connection, right? But one of the lessons I learned about Gen Z and Gen Z is it's all kind of connect in my, tra about my, in, in my travels for Eisenhower, it's, it's connected around this shared experience. So the question is, how much of the shared experience do younger people from different parts of the world have in common, okay? Yeah. So Western democracies in, in the West, I think a lot. The history and current events in other parts of the world are not aligned where, you know, where Western, where, where Western democracies are. So I think that generally, yes, I think there's more connection than there has been before, but I still think it's probably kind of on a regional basis, very much influenced by not just COVID, but the events that happened before COVID, specifically like the, the anti-democratic you know, movements and some of these other stresses based upon the recession and other things. What do you think Gen Z's from outside of America could be learning from Gen Z in America, given the unique of the American setting, particularly Donald Trump, authoritarianism, the rise of the alt-right that's happening in the U.S.? What, what can they be learning, do you think? Certainly, we in the U.S. could be learning from, from some of the um, higher levels of participation in politics that we're seeing in, in other countries, number one, right? Um, one. In the U.S., I feel like in the last three or four years that the, the organizers and the activists have realized that even though one group may be, you know, care deeply about the climate, another group about gun violence, you know, and another group about reproductive rights. What I've really found is like this pragmatism that younger people have, right? And the, and the, and the interconnectedness, right? Uh, and, and the intersectionality across each of these movements into organizing. They're not going to agree with everybody all the time, but they agree that their values are aligned enough that if one succeeds, they'll, they'll all succeed. And I think that is uh, in a really important lesson that's still unfolding here, yeah. one. And I think the other thing, and especially the, 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 the organizers and the activists I'm closest to are those in the you know, from the from the students of Parkland, honestly, right? The, the, right. the, the young people came up through that movement and their pragmatism knowing they can't do this by themselves, that it's going to take a generation and that it's going to take the work of other members of their community, their parents, their mentors, yeah. others, to find levels of agreement, even if they don't agree on other things, but if they agree on this one issue, that's good to move the ball forward. So they've really opened up and they've listened and they're not focused on just their own unique agenda, but I think I'm moving the country forward more uh, broadly.
Okay, so last question, which is this. Most of our groups are led by millennials. So what would you tell the millennial leaders of today? Because David Hoggs said in an interview from the Parkland Movement that it would take sort of a cross-generational sort of alliance to be able to deal with the big issues of today, right? Um, including mass shootings and climate change, etc. So what would you say to the millennials that are leading, are the ones leading today in terms of involving millennials? So, on these big issues? So I, I think a couple of things. I think the, the millennials who are leading today who got engaged in this movement because they have this like progressive vision, right, for, for their community, the country, and, and, and their part of the world. So I've got a couple messages for them. One is the younger people are following feel more intensely about the issues that, 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 than you do, right? So we've seen in some cases, Giovanna, I just released it in the most recent Harvard poll, 20-point shifts in levels of support for these kind of progressive values, right, around, around the government, role that government can and should play to protect the environment, even at the expense of business, to provide, you know, basic rights, healthcare, food, shelter, those sorts of things, okay? So this generation is with you. They feel that plus this urgency one. The second thing is that, millennials probably know this, but they, Gen Z, they have very different technology habits than they do, right? Um, and there may be, you know, we may not be able to see that as clearly, me as like a as a as a Gen Xer. You know, but the role in which these young people are using to organize are very different, right? So, so um, learn from that, give them, empower them to use these tools, right? So they can kind of mentor up. But the other thing is because there's been such, you know, because there's been a lockdown, right? And then so much of this has been organized, younger people have been organizing kind of relationally through social media and social networks. I think millennials can also really help Gen Z, Gen Z organize kind of the old fashioned way, right? In terms of the role that you can use, as you know, right? Door to door kind of organizing, right? It's, I think one of the best stories in the last several years of politics is what these young people did in, in Wisconsin. Right where that was the first time that I saw in '23 this 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 judges race where you had the relational organizing on top of the traditional grassroots organizing, yeah. and you know they created um, uh, results that no one really kind of a- expected. So mentor up, but also mentor down. A lot of ideas I think that can be stimulated that way. Well, this is great stuff, and I and for everyone who's listening, I just want to recommend "Fight: How Gen Z Is Channeling Their Fear and Passion to Save America" by John De La Volpe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today. I love this. Thanks so much for having me, Giovanna. You've been listening to the podcast for Democracy, brought to you by Open, the online progressive engagement network. Please subscribe and download this podcast and tell your friends. Also, feel free to rate and review the podcast, available on all podcast platforms. Find out more at the-open.net. That's the-open.net.